Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I'm so happy to be here today. I have this extraordinary episode with documentary filmmaker Andi Timoner, who so generously gave me an hour of her time when she was in the middle of what has to be one of the wilder press pushes for an extraordinary film. I honestly, I think one of my favorite I've ever seen called The Last Flight Home. Andi brings us into her own family's living room as they are waiting in the 14-day waiting period where her father, Eli Timoner, a warm and funny and courageous man who's been ill for a large part of his life, has made the choice to end his life with medication. And there's a 14-day waiting period in California, and what we see is how Andy's family comes together during that period of time to essentially say goodbye. I just don't really have words to describe what the film did to me. It is incredibly emotional and funny and warm and special, but mostly it showed me something that I don't know that I even understood was possible. Just know you're going to love it. The show will be linked in the show notes so that you can find it. And I'm just really grateful to be able to bring you this gorgeous episode today. Before I take you into the episode, I want to read you a little bit of Andy's bio. Andy Timoner is an internationally acclaimed filmmaker who focuses on the work of impossible visionaries, people who naturally push boundaries, and films that take on massive subjects impacting society from predictive and unique points of view. She has the rare distinction of winning the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance twice for Dig 2004 and about the collision of art and commerce and two rival rock bands, and in We Live in Public, 2009, about the loss of privacy and intimacy in the age of online via the social experiments of visionary Josh Harris. Both films were acquired by the permanent collection of MoMA in New York. Andy's catalog of distinguished feature documentaries includes Last Flight Home, about Andy's father, Eli Timoner's extraordinary life and intentional death, which premiered at Sundance in 2022 and was acquired by MTV Documentary Films. If you want to read more about Andy, her bio is linked in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this show and this discussion as much as I did. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I'm your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis. Have like the wild pleasure of having some minutes from an extraordinary woman who has created an extraordinary film. Andy, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you, Megan. I feel really just deeply honored that we're going to get a chance to talk about your gorgeous film, Last Flight Home. So I'll just start by saying to my audience um, that I read about this in the New York Times and I reached out to you and you were so generous and you were like, sure, let's have a conversation about this. I want to ask you a million questions, but I want to start for folks who don't know about the film yet. Can you just tell us about how you find yourself in the world of grief and loss? Tell us about what this film is and where it came from. I mean, it was all quite sudden um, when dad made that choice. He was the most, by far the most um, tenacious person any of us ever knew. And he was always saying he was going to be there forever. And you know, he'd say, I, well, I'm going to see Juki off to college and I'm going to, you know, as my son and, you know, on and on. And he, it was just always 
solid. And, you know, if I, if I landed on a flight, any flight and turned my phone on, he was tracking it. It was the first call I, you know, mm. I received immediately when I would land. Um, he got through being paralyzed for 40 years from a stroke that happened as a result of his neck being cracked in a massage, just from rooting for everybody else and just being so generous. So when he needed to go because he wasn't going to walk anymore, it was like, as he was this entrepreneur that was so solid in whatever his instincts told him, he's like, oh my gosh, I have to go. It's my time, you know? And it was so sudden and I was just panicked. It was not as sudden as losing someone in a sudden death. We found out about this law, thank God, because he was really just pleading with us to help him die. Um, and that meant breaking the law. And my brother's like, I think there might be a law. And it turned out there was a law, but there was a 15 day waiting period. And so there was a deadline, which is very much how I edited the film so that you really can be feeling that deadline. And it's, so it's a very unique circumstance where it is sudden, but not sudden. We could plan and almost produce the end of dad's life. And the kids could, you know, grandkids could come out of college and come home and be around him, which is something that I think, you know, we as a society fail miserably at facing death. We are so terrified of it and we keep our children from it. And these kids are all mm. so immeasurably, ben they've benefited beyond from being able to spend these last days with dad. Um, they got such wisdom, humor, uh, such a, a sense of closure that I think a lot of grandkids, actually people in their 20s and young 20s, respond very much to this film because they have no guide other than this, you know? And so that ultimately was one of the reasons I was compelled mm -hmm. to share this very private footage that I captured. But for me, the grieving process, it was very aided and in a way um, soothed, I don't know, like by filmmaking. And it's very um, unexpected because I've always dedicated, you know, myself, my life to making these really intense verite films, um, deep explorations of, you know, all kinds of worlds I could never otherwise enter without my camera from dig was 2,500 hours of footage shot over seven years with two bands. And, you know, we live in public was 5,000 hours shot over 10 years with, in this like internet sort of this sort of vision of the internet. That's like the social experiment in Manhattan and, you know, gone awry where people live in bunker, you know, in a bunker. And I, I it's hard to sum up my work, but a lot, I mean, Russell yeah. Brand and it just on and like really deep immersive projects never has filmmaking been there for me on an emotional level. You know, it was like, wait, I can do this. I can bottle dad up. <laughs> I can like, because see, I don't remember him from before I was 10 right. because he had that stroke when I was 10 and I, my brain has blocked him out as an able-bodied person. I remember that we used to run together, that we used to play tennis. I remember that he, you know, these were the best things that I love to yeah. do, but I can't physically actually, I can't like visualize him. So I was terrified to forget him. And as soon as I realized, and I had this urge to set up cameras, I went to see a therapist because I was worried that maybe I was trying to mediate the experience or that I was going to hurt my family in the process or, you know, that I was distancing myself in an unhealthy way. And the therapist said, if you feel like you should film and you should film, which I was very surprised to hear 
So I, I called my dad and I said, daddy, I just feel like I need to set up cameras when you come home from the hospital. And he's like, I instinctively know you're on the right track, which I also thought was a really strange answer because it was certainly consent, but I didn't know what track I was on. Right. All I knew was if I set up cameras and I put a microphone on my dad, I will have a record of his voice and his personality. And um, thanks to this law, his spirit just turned around. He was so much happier and more at peace to know that he had an outdate that he, of his choosing. So much in the film, you see his spirit just, you know, he's like joyful. I mean, yeah, it buoys. It's like, wow. You know, and I was able to set up zoom calls and, you know, there was so much, so much that we could do to prepare and it gave us such closure. And now I've talked to, you know, obviously putting this film out around the world, I've talked to so many people that many, a few lucky people that have had the chance to have their parents have an intentional death. And they all say the same thing. They all say like our family was gathered around, you know, like I, as I was thinking about doing this interview with you and in the name of your podcast, I was thinking, I don't have grief in the same way that I think a lot of people that I meet after my screenings have grief. Um, and I hold, try to hold space for all of their experiences and what is most surprising to me is that people with a lack of the kind of closure that my family and I were blessed enough to be able to to get um thanks to this incredible law um they're still somehow able to see and play out like kind of like what you just said your their own families on screen and yeah. it even if their loved ones have had really nasty deaths or turned nasty at the end, you know, weren't the kind of generous and kind souls that my dad happened to be at the end or as sharp, you know, they, um, they're able to kind of heal some part of themselves that was broken by watching this, which is to me, yeah. like the miracle of film. I mean, it's one thing to get to know my family and be able to be in the room and be with us and go through it with us. That's amazing. Closing the distance between, you know, the viewer and us is a in itself a really wonderful sort of miracle of film. But to add the fact that there's another lane in which you are actually seeing your own family at the same time you're getting to know ours, that blows my mind. There's a whole model of therapy, which is basically about... It- using your imagination to allow yourself relief where there was none. And it's really, really powerful. You activate the trauma, the difficult sensorial experience, and then you use your imagination to allow yourself to come into more resolution. What would you have needed in that moment? So the first time I watched your film, I sort of watched it out of the corner of my eye because my dad's death was one that rapidly and we brought him home in a bed like your dad. And so there were things where even though I do this all day, I talk about grief and loss all day, there are still ways that my system can get flooded with emotion. What I didn't have and honestly couldn't have imagined Partly, I think, because also you have Jewish traditions in there. This is my personal belief. I think there's a reason why Judaism has been around as long as it has, and that the rituals that it holds for ceremonial events for families are so on point in terms of what they offer. 
So there's also the layer of the tradition of Judaism inside these moments with your dad that that offer me an idea of what could have been had we known to think about it. You know, my dad was not like your dad. My dad wouldn't have said as many generous things. He wouldn't have wanted so many people in a room, but I still can imagine it. I have five brothers and sisters. My dad had 13 grandchildren. Um, the room that your dad is in for those last hours of his life is just filled with people. So even though he would not have permitted that, my mother would not have wanted it, my siblings would not have done it, I would have liked what you presented. And I can imagine it because you showed it to me. And that is what I think some people are relating to, is that they are putting themselves in this deeply holy moment those video calls were just so beyond beautiful. So I think part of what you've done is offer us something that we didn't know was possible, which is a pretty extraordinary thing. And I think the therapist who said, go ahead, um, you know, from my perspective, we have a lot of instincts about how to grieve. You're a filmmaker it made perfect sense that you wanted to document it and who knows what it was going to become, but it documented all these incredible, really beautiful moments. Was everybody, not everybody in your family as a filmmaker, was everybody like, we're into this, plug us in, we're ready? No, that's a great question. My sister was not a fan, is not a fan of cameras. Um, okay. Just kind of ironic because I've been filming my sister for years <laughs> because I think she's amazing um, and she puts up with me. But my job has gotten easier uh, lately because the film, um, she has really proven to her the power of film and how it's helping people in her congregation and that she knows and other rabbis. It's been something that, um, yeah, now she's like, where do you want the camera? You know, so so that's good. But when we knew, you know, obviously she was coming out like five days before. So yeah. I kind of knew that the filmmaking process needed to be somewhat invisible by then, as seamless and really as much a part of the background as possible. So I had a Nest camera, like a surveillance camera up high, and I had a few cameras around, but the main camera was in another room shooting through an open door. Um yeah. And uh, that was interesting because that actually allowed people to, they had the, it had the microphones attached. So you could stand and listen to and watch oh, daddy wow. and whoever was visiting daddy without interfering. And so I found my brother back there watching his children with dad, you know, or mm -hmm. I found my son crying, watching his grandparents together. Um, so that was an interesting vehicle for grieving as well. Um, that I highly recommend. And my mom will tell anyone who listens right now to document as much as possible. She watched the film every, we talk about mom because she watched the film every night for a year after he died to spend to time with him. And even now, oh yeah. And even now she's spent, she's, she watched, she'll watch it like three or four times a week. Um, That's she has so a lake and she just watches it. Yeah. But, um, but about my sister, she was on a Zoom call and I said, we've been filming, as you know, and um, I know I don't want to do anything to interfere with your grieving process and your process of saying goodbye to dad. So we just won't film if not, but it's become something that's important to mom at this point that there's something of dad left and, um, you know, would it be okay? And, uh, and she said, dad, what do you want? 
what you want is what's important. And he said, well, I want it. I want it. But my mom said the same. And so she said, okay, that's what's most important. And um, so she came and she has said in many Q and A's that because she made a decision like, okay, well, this is happening, but I'm going to support it. She just like forgot about it. And my brother has said this too, like what was happening. And I feel the same way was so important. I know being with dad and the, and it was such a beautiful and sacred space to be in. And um, his care was everything. And him realizing he gave us everything when he thought he gave us nothing. Like that was, that was the goal was getting him to realize he gave us everything with that unconditional love and getting my mom to face him. Those were the main events, not the cameras. Cameras were very secondary. And um, it was really only when my sister asked me to make a memorial video a couple of weeks later and I opened the footage. And that's when I realized, first of all, dad was alive in the avid, which was like a miracle. Even though I obviously filmed him when he was alive. So there he was, but it was like, I was, my therapist said this too. She said, you're going to be in shock. So you won't really remember like everything. And I didn't, I didn't remember a lot of it. You know, I was so, there were so many things going on, so many feelings. And I was trying to hold it together for dad and be there for him. And, you know, just show up in so many ways for so many people that I, when I could sit back and actually go from daughter to filmmaker and look at the footage objectively through the objective eyes of the camera, I realized every single person was walking into that room, grappling with the biggest issues of life and death. And there was dad. He's the one dying and he is caring for everyone else, you know, and comforting them and making them laugh and left there changed. So, you know, if you look as a storyteller, you look for arcs, you know, And it was just like, oh my God, this is just, there were so many lessons in here that I felt like I have to share this. This is like almost as much about how to live as how to die, you know, and um, especially dad's arc of realizing that, you know, he measured his life wrong and that he should have measured it by love. He wildly succeeded as Rachel sums up at the end. To me, that was like, it doesn't matter how old you are. We're all under all this pressure. You know, we've been on this trail of sharing the movie that has been so incredible with audiences. I've never received any kind of response like this to any film I've made. I've I've heard the words, you know, I've heard like masterpiece before things like that, but I've never heard of something I've made touching people so deeply. It's so gratifying. I should say to turn, talk about grief, 40 years of dad being paralyzed, ousted from his company, suffering with such grace hardly ever complaining. I, as a, you know, going from 10 years old to now 50, as of last week, like 40 years, you know, I've been thinking this has got to amount to something. So I wrote a script, you know, like I read him the script on his deathbed. Like I was going to somehow tell his story. I was going to do whatever I could to recover his fortune. I was going to do whatever I could to help him, you know, and I couldn't help him. I couldn't take it away. I could never give him his, his arm back or his leg back or his social standing back or his bank account back. You know, I could give him a house. I could give him a car. I couldn't do anything else, but give him a conversation and my love and to be able to make something that helps other people and turn his suffering. It's just, it's healing me. You know, if you want to talk about healing grief, like it's healing all of us in the family. 
all of us were held his shame and all of us carried his grief and all of us felt such a burden, I think, to somehow recover for him something, some worth out of it. Like it couldn't all come to this is what I kept, like it couldn't all come to this. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely. It just feels so multi-layered. Is this choice that was an instinct for you video something it ends up receding into this. What I always say about my parents' deaths is that it was like the most real moments of my life. Like the, the most, most pure, the most the, pure yeah. presence, the most sacred, the most beautiful in many ways, you know, not his actual death, but just those last weeks, you know? And your everything, your whole body, your whole five senses is in this like a hundred percent activated state in a way that you can't record it. Your brain is actually not designed. Neuroscience is sort of what I teach. And it's not designed to code all of that because we would be overwhelmed all the time if we were coding it. But with the cameras, you're showing us person after person, including yourself, being in this space where you guys actually co-create a different life for a few minutes with your dad as he's dying. And it lets go of this old story of disappointment. And it's something that I think everyone would want to want a chance at, right? Like this idea that he's been holding a story of what makes him a valuable human. And then he has the actual five senses experience with the people who are zooming in and all of the grandchildren who are coming. And I did want to say to you, I think one of the most moving moments in the film is both hearing that his granddaughter does not want to come, watching her come, play the violin, and then be deeply overwhelmed in the presence of grief. But she is held by all of these people on the periphery. It's one of the most magical moments because Right now in this country, we have no idea how to grieve all the losses that we are experiencing. People don't even know how to go back to work. They don't. And here she is beside herself. She's saying, I don't know how to do this, but she's doing it. And she's not doing it alone. She's doing it with him. He's loving on her while she's doing it. And all of these other grownups who love her and siblings and, and cousins and all those other folks are are holding her in that space. And that's what we haven't had in COVID. It's like we haven't had any of that witnessing. And that moment just, it really makes me explode each time I see it because that's who we need to be helping right now is these younger generations. Well, that's, that's what I mean is that like we, you know, this film and being compelled to share it, which is another challenge that, you know, I had with Rachel because she felt what, you know, sacred should remain private. And she has since you yes. know, told Lincoln Center <laughs> that she was wrong um, about that. But she felt really strongly that this was a beautiful film that should stay in the family. And, you know, my memorial video went from five minutes to 32 minutes, and then it just couldn't stop editing. And out came this thing, you know, and I just felt compelled to share it because of exactly what you're saying. You know, it provides as our brilliant executive producer, Sheila Nevins, who acquired the film after Sundance says, and she's the grand doyenne of documentary in case you don't know who she is. She, no. she really started and kicked off HBO documentary film and she's a brilliant woman. And she said, you know, it's a film that helps those of us in the circle of endings. Yeah. Those of you who are losing your parents, 
and those who are losing their grandparents. And there's like three different generations or cycles of grief, I feel like, of losing, That's of, right. of losing, of mortality, facing mortality. And if we first experience it with losing our grandparents, if we even knew our grandparents, I didn't, I only lost one um, that I knew of because they had all died. But, you know, a lot of people around 20 years old are losing their grandparents. And then, you know, 20 to 30. And then 40 to 60, we're losing our parents, you know? And then over 70, 80, you're attending funerals all the time and you're losing your friends and you're losing your partner and then you're dying, you know? And there is not much in our culture that, allows us to actually rehearse this, explore this, unpack this, discuss this, experience this in any way. And, and so it felt very important to share and thank God mom called Rachel and said, look, I watch this film every day to spend time with dad. And so Rachel shared it with her clergy and her friends. And they said, you know, get it out there. You've got to share this, you know, and, um, and so she did. She was so courageous because it was, you know, helping a person die was, is against most religions yeah. doctrine. And it was against reform Judaism until very recently this year to help. And so here she is a reform rabbi helping her father die, literally hand on the cup, yeah. you know, and um, she had to write an article for the forward to kind of get ahead of that and say, here's why. And here's, and maybe we need to rethink our laws, you know? And they have, and they yeah. changed it. But they yeah. said a law without tenderness is wickedness. But I didn't want to forget to roll back to something that I said earlier, which is with dads realizing he actually had one, Biden won and so did I, that he actually had provided us Best with everything, that he ever. actually had succeeded, you know, um, which was gave us all such incredible joy and relief to hear um, that. That's something I have to keep in mind as I go through this, you know, Oscar thing. You can't imagine how random that stuff is, how many people you can get to watch it, like how many, how many parties or events you throw. It's not like winning a film festival where a jury sits in a row. It's like a campaign, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I, it's my first ever, the reason I did it was, because I want, I thought, you know what? This is a movie about a man who's 92 is electing to die. On the surface, it's a hard movie for people to say, oh, let me watch that on a Friday night, you know? But if they see it and they realize it's really funny, it's really life affirming, sure, you cry, but you laugh, and that it's, you know, possibly life changing, the word of mouth will spread. Yeah. So I've got to make the rock that I drop in the water as big a rock as possible. So this campaign was funded, right, by the distributor. And I was able to go and share the movie with literally Uh, thousands, thousands and thousands of people, right, this fall, which is why I'm very tired now. However, um, I have to keep in mind, like, whatever happens, and it is a very noisy year, (laughs) lots of movies and lots of money behind lots of movies, and we're a little film. However, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. If I follow the doctrine of the movie, then it's not about that. It's really not. It's about how I held space for the people that watch this movie and how I hold space for the people that are writing me every day who see it on Paramount Plus or, you know, for my family or for my own mother right now or for my wife or son who's home for the holidays. You know, 
and for myself. Like I have to take the lessons and we, and that's what, that's why I made the movie ultimately was because we have to, we have to realize that our relationships. And as dad said, respect those you don't know and love the ones you do that. That's the most important thing. That's what we're going to take with us to our deathbed. That's it. That's you know, it. I also think that it's a taboo subject, this idea of ending your life. And I'm not sure your dad was the person that people have in mind when they think about the controversy about that. I think they think it's, you know, someone young and, and, and why should they be choosing to die? And what about the, I think your dad's brightened face knowing that he gets to choose is so powerful that even if you stopped the film, if that's as long as it was, it's hard for that not to go right into your heart. But there's this extraordinary piece, which is there's the 15 day waiting period. And so not only does he choose it, but it's like, oh, we're going to have a wedding in 15 days. And so then everybody swoops in and comes around and participates and co-creates this ending of his life. And in that, there is all the things that people would want to be able to do. Say all the beautiful things to your beloved person. Make all the phone calls, check in with all the, he gets to receive it and hear it. That interaction of grandchildren and children and, and friends reflecting back to your dad about what they meant to him. It's almost like prepping for that moment when your sister, a rabbi, takes him through a ritual of letting go and realizing. And it's how could he not let go of that definition when he has been allowed to be inside all of that love from all these people who are basically blessing him at the end of his life? It's something that I think people would not have known could exist. And now they'll never not know that it can exist. And that 15-day period, which I think is more about double-checking, triple-checking, are you sure you want to take this medicine? Are you definitely sure you want to do it? What you guys turned that into was a two week long celebration of life that he got to be at for himself. I think that, um, you know, I, I had the idea to do these Zoom calls because I wanted to make sure that he realized how much he had impacted people, not just his family, but also the people at his airline, you know, uh, his airline was the fastest growing airline in the history of aviation because he ran it like a family. You know, he, everyone was so motivated to win. They had a testimonial dinners till basically the year before he died. I mean, just, you know, reunions where they would honor him. We're talking 40 years after the airline folded after a stroke, he had such impact on people. Um, they, he taught them how to lead with love. And he taught us how to be truthful and honest and lead with love. And I feel like, you know, um, setting up those Zoom calls with everyone he had, I would try, I tried everyone. I missed some people, but I tried, I tried to give everybody warning. Daddy's going to be gone, but we don't have to wait for that. As you said, it's not like you can muster this stuff every day of your life. There's so much crap that weighs down our every day. You know, the bills we have to pay, yeah. the things we have to do, you know, and it's just the, the hoops we have to jump through, the way in which we, um, yeah, measure our success um, and the way we prioritize our time. It's very difficult to see through all that, but hopefully the film inspires us to like 
tell our loved ones mm -hmm. that we love them now because that's really what you know being emotionally vulnerable you don't have to wait for the end of somebody's life like daddy says like the circle of love you give love you get love and that's the more you give the more you get i just think it's hard for us every day to go through that but also looking at the way dad suffered you know yeah. how did he get through it yeah he got through it by rooting for everyone else yeah. by that's cheering true. everyone else on it's so clear how much he cares about everyone. Also the thing which maybe is unintentional and maybe is just the impact of knowing your dad, but you do really fall in love with him. I mean, he is really adorable and warm and um, particularly with his grandchildren, I just found all of that so touching the way in which they wanted to know how to live their lives and wanted his ties and wanted to tell him what he had meant to them. Um, what I, an incredible I, opportunity they had to have closure. Yeah. You know, when, when we hide death, we think that we're protecting our children, you know, from death. And it's like, they actually really, all of us, we benefit by facing it. And that's something that I don't think we understand, um, that by facing death and sort of embracing it, we can turn back towards our lives and realize how finite they are. Yeah. and live them that much richer, you know? You know, you said that your mom watches this video every night, which really took my breath away because my mother, she lived about two years after my dad's death. They had been married 50 years. She was 19 when they got married. Um, she watched his funeral service every single night. When I got her iPad clicked, she never knew how to close a screen. And so I was closing hundreds and hundreds of windows that were of my father's funeral service, which was just a Catholic mass. But I think, again, because you are in this heightened state and your brain is doing something that it doesn't normally do, being able to go back and even see yourself in that moment and remember smaller things that maybe you didn't code into your body's memory. It's a kind of a gift that seems like it would be morbid or something, but it turns out your mother is telling us that this is a tool of love that she is, is using. It's not videos of when he was younger. It's not videos. You have them. They're very funny. I mean, your dad is very funny. There are some very, very funny clips in there. So there's clearly other videos. She's watching this part, this beautiful part of him making his own choices and his family showing up for him with this intense love. I have clients who come in and say, I feel ashamed to say this, but I took a picture of my dad's dead body, or I took a video of them. What I say to them is your instinct did that for a reason. And there's not really shame around what we do. It's just that we don't talk about it. And if we pulled a hundred people in the room, some other people are going to tell you they also took pictures mm -hmm. because it's normal. It's normal to want to revisit a time period that was so important and also really hard to stay in the moment and coding all the information in a way that continues to make sense. Right before we started recording, you said, God, I don't know how people do this if it's not a story that's so deeply personal to talk about it all the time. And I really understand that I have some people who are like, how can you talk about death all the time? And I think it's sort of like this incredibly holy task, this life task that everybody ends up 
going through and participating and we're all going to grieve someone. And I really feel very lucky to be thanking you personally, because a lot of what I'm doing now is trying to find larger platforms to share what I know to be true about grief that is sort of more embodied than it was when I had a more academic sense is to just sort of say to folks, like, there's some stuff we're not addressing. And I think in this period of time to have a film that is this powerful that allows you to enter in you know there's so there's a wide there's a wide cast of characters that you can find yourself inside and there were times where i felt like oh i feel like i'm a bit like rachel and i feel like i'm a bit like your brother and i feel like i'm a bit like your mom and i feel like i really do feel like i got something for myself personally um out of the film and i there's not very many ways that we can teach about grief as concretely as this film does. And I just feel really grateful. I didn't expect you to say yes to the interview. And I feel really grateful that I get to say to you, I'm so grateful that your family understood the holy act of sharing this um, and that the power that it has, regardless of what awards it's going to continue to win, which is, you know, amazing. But when you're in your purpose and you're doing something that is genre changing, um, it's, the most extraordinary human gift and and everyone in that room including your dad gave that to us and i just am I, so especially grateful. my dad i mean maybe me and my dad in combo but i mean i'm super grateful to my family for just being who they are my mother raised us you know the stroke the stroke really bonded us by fire and she created the t team yeah. out of it and and really you know was the the rock also of our family and stuck by my dad she was care caregiving, you know, and just she is the definition of of loyalty um, and goodness. And and then she's a fiery one too. I'll tell you. And then um, <laughs> you, you can know, in the film. Yeah, but their courage, you know, and sharing this. But Dad, I think this really was his final gift to me to allow me to grieve in this way by setting up these cameras and possibly helping me edit. I think he really played a hand in all of this. Honestly, I think that this is a combination of daddy and me. And that's what my mom says all the time. And she says, this is you and dad, this is dad through you. I just feel so utterly blessed yeah. that all of my many, many years of filmmaking prepared me for this moment and to be able to do this in this moment and that I followed my instincts, which felt wrong. You know, and I think what you said is really important. Like, you know, it's important to follow your instincts, especially around something like this, when they feel wrong, a lot is going to feel wrong, but you don't really know what to do because no one ever taught us what to do. And no. we don't have any experience with this. And so you're sort of feeling your way through, you know, a dark room or walking on the moon or whatever kind of analogy you want to have, follow your instincts and try to document whatever you can audio, video, anything, you know, my mom would be the first one to tell you that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm just so glad that ultimately they got behind me and sharing it and that now he lives in your heart and, yeah. and can help you in some way. And that's, that's just, that's the miracle of it all. I think always what, with our people that we love that are no longer here with us on the earth, I think what we're trying to do is find a different way to have a, continue to have a relationship with them. And um, I think that the relationship that people get to have with your dad and your, in, your entire family is 
an extraordinary thing. The notion that he's editing with you and he's in this with you makes perfect sense to me. I mean, you, it wouldn't, this film wouldn't exist without him. But I think that's the thing we're all trying to do is like, yeah, my dad died in 2017, but I want him to exist and be and matter to me and to others if possible in, in my everyday life. And I think that's where grief and love are sort of like the two sides of the same coin. I can't, I can't possibly believe that you could have known what this was going to show you on the other side of the camera, but I guess it's probably not a surprise that that's what's there because it's such genuine love in that room from everyone, even people who are struggling. You, you show those moments of struggle, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not imbued with love and goodness. I show the struggle because I want to make sure that at the same time that we help get this very important law passed and with it's currently in front of 22 state legislatures. And I didn't make the film for that reason, but it, having that agency over dad's body was so important to him and, and other countless families of terminally ill patients and they themselves deserve this basic human right. So really want that to be part of the legacy here. And I, sometimes the most personal can be the most political. Right. Um, you know, I'm not popping out to experts. I don't need to for you to see how important this is <laughs> and how, and here's dad clear as the, you know, as, as a, as a sky on a cloudless day and never wavering never. In his choice. No, um, and, yeah. And it was, it, you know, it was, I was able to make the film because he was finally where he needed to be. And he wasn't suffering and I was able to just be with him day and night with the footage and grieve this way, laughing and crying through the night. And um, and this film is more like a ball of light. You know, it's just something that exists now for all of us. And um, that peacock you see on the final day. Oh, God. I mean, come on. Came outside my editing bay window and sat there. I'd never seen that peacock before never seen a peacock with tail feathers like that. And every day when my mom would pull up during Shiva, which is, you know, the week we met, remember the dead and we come together and she would pull up to my house to sit in the backyard. And that same peacock would greet her every day, stand outside her car. And then he sat outside my window. So we started calling him Eli. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah. I just think there's more to this. Like when my father was approaching death, it was like a veil lifted between life and death. He could see his family again. I mean, this is a man that wasn't sure that there would be anything. Yeah. He thought nothing would be, exist. As he said in October, 2020, when I flashed back and it's what, four months later. And he's like, sure, he's going to be watching us. Um, so he didn't want to go anywhere to else. It. He just wants yeah. to watch you. He didn't want to have any more adventures. He says, he's just going to hang out and watch. I know that's my favorite moment yes. actually is when he opens his eyes and says, I don't want total freedom. I know. Yeah. yeah. And just in case anyone thinks it's only funny and only sweet. I, when I watched it again last night, my husband was like, what is happening in this room? And I was like, get out of, you know, it is, it will <laughs> make you weep like a small child, even if you haven't gone through loss, but in a way that we need to and um, makes us better and helps us learn. I am so grateful for this interview. I'm so grateful that you scrabbled to get the time in with me because I'm a little nobody podcasting, but this, I know this episode is going to be special because I had all kinds of chills while we were talking and I just can't wait to see 
where the film goes and where you go with this. And I'm already just, I really am personally and just professionally incredibly grateful for the risk that you took and the risk that your family took and the trust that you guys built together to do this thing that was a personal story that ends up really serving all of us in this incredible way. It's just the most gorgeous film. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, and having the interest and also, you know, approaching the subject with people. It's really, really important. And that's why I made the film. So we have the same, the same goals. Um, Best of luck. I will be rooting for you and the film and all those things in all good things. Andy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Take care.